Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will revisit the U.S. financial sector for a mid-year checkup. So my guest will spend some time previewing the upcoming reporting season, reflecting on the recent capital stress test results for the banks, as well as will offer some guidance around sector positioning. Uh, joining us for the conversation this morning, glad to welcome back Brad Ball, financials analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Brad, good morning. Thank you for dropping by top of the morning to spend some time with our listeners, our clients. Looking forward to our conversation. Good morning, Dan. Uh, Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So, uh, Brad, I know at this point we just started the month of July, so just about at the halfway mark of 2022, against the backdrop of rising rates, recession fears, volatile market conditions. Curious, Brad, how the group has fared on a year-to-date basis, and what does the setup at this point look like for the financials as we're now making our way into the second half of the year? Well, I'd say the direct answer is like the rest of the market. We haven't fared too well in financials. Um, After rallying sharply in the first weeks of the year, uh, the U.S. financial sector has pulled back and is uh, now down nearly 20 percent on a year-to-date basis. That's about in line with uh, the broader market's decline. Um, Financials fundamentals, I think, have remained solid, uh, but I believe valuations have pulled back to reflect the growing risk of uh, economic uncertainty on the horizon, um, you know, maybe discounting the chance of a recession by about 65% over the next 12 to 18 months. And what we've seen uh, is that even as earnings and profitability have held up okay in financials, the market is, uh, you know, factoring a higher risk that a slowing in business activity and a rise in credit losses uh, could be ahead uh, for the group, and that would dampen returns, growth and returns for the group. Now, as far as the setup for the second half, I'd say the outlook uh, remains pretty cautious and is likely leaning to a risk-off posture for a while here, You know, at least until we get better visibility around the macroeconomic outlook. And while valuations look cheap on a relative P.E. basis versus the S&P P.E., Financials tend to trade on a price-to-tangible book value basis during an economic downturn, during a recession, uh, and that's really due to the risk of potentially slower book value growth if there's a downturn. And on that basis, on a price-to-tangible book value basis, the risk-return for financials looks more balanced at this time. You mentioned the key headwind just a moment ago. Anything else in the way of notable risks that participants in the group should be mindful of that could perhaps disrupt or dampen group performance as we make our way through the second half? Yeah, yeah. I think the overhang, as I mentioned, is that the market is increasingly pricing in Uh, the probability of an economic downturn, uh, perhaps a recession over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, You know, high inflation, the ending of the pandemic-related fiscal support, you know, increasing odds of a Fed policy error, you know, these things um, all sort of weigh on the outlook uh, and, and and, and increase the uncertainty uh, for the growth of GDP as we get into the latter half of this year and next year. Uh, the Fed's ability to achieve a soft landing has uh, diminished clearly, and I think the market is reflecting that in how it's behaved recently. For financials, what this would mean is uh, slower loan growth, 
uh, probably weaker capital markets and investment banking engagement, lower mortgage banking and other fee income, and in particular, higher credit costs. I, I think that the biggest potential headwind is credit in a, in a downturn. Uh, credit is directly impacted by recessionary forces like uh, higher unemployment, declining jobs and wages, corporate defaults. Um, and it would appear in the bank's uh, credit provisioning expense, which is the largest expense item on their income statement, uh, that has been unsustainably low in recent years because the group really built up a lot of uh, credit reserves uh, at the outside of the pandemic and was releasing those reserves in recent periods. But the credit provisioning expense could go higher uh, if, in fact, we have deterioration. Right now, we're expecting normalizing credit in both consumer and commercial uh, credit quality. We expect it to be gradual. Uh, but any recession could cause an acceleration in that normalization trend, which could cost uh, – lead to higher provisioning expense, higher costs, and depress earnings and profitability for the group. So what seems to be uh, a, a relatively um, uh, you know, benign current outlook uh, could become more severe to the extent the economy downturns. Uh, and like I say, credit is probably the most significant focus for the second half. Along the lines of preparation for downturn, just to switch gears a bit, we're only backtracking to the month of June. Worth bringing this up because, Brad, I know on an annual basis, you do join us here on the podcast to talk about the Fed's annual bank capital stress test results. So uh, curious to hear your takeaways, Brad, what you can share with us there. Should a recession materialize, how prepared are the banks to uh, perhaps continue with their Lending functions. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, the Fed's annual assessment of big bank capital adequacy uh, was completed and, and the results were released at the end of June, as you noted. Um, that was uh, something that was implemented back in 2010 after the financial crisis and the Dodd Frank uh, Financial Reform Act was put into place. Um, and what it basically does is it looks at banks' balance sheet strength under various stressful macroeconomic scenarios, including a severely adverse case. Now, for, for this year, the good news is that all the banks passed the stress test. That means that they all have sufficient capital to withstand a severely adverse scenario and continue to lend and otherwise do business with their, with their customers. Um, the bad news is that this year's test was actually tougher. It generally was weighing more heavily uh, the risk of a negative outcome for a range of banking businesses, especially areas like commercial real estate. Uh, so that meant the results were somewhat skewed uh, this year. Again, they all passed, but the big universal banks fared a bit worse uh, because they have uh, a broad diversity of businesses, many of which were uh, negatively impacted by the scenario, the severe ad adverse case, case scenario. Um, and others like investment banks and consumer lenders, which tend to be more focused businesses, fared a little bit better this year. Um, I'd say there were basically three uh, main takeaways from this year's uh, Fed findings. The first is that we saw the uh, group um, – you know, basically show liquidity and capital strength uh, more than sufficient to endure an actual economic downturn, right? So the, the downturn that we experienced during the pandemic, uh, we managed through that just fine. And it, you know, do 
doesn't look like we're likely to face that kind of a, of a sudden shock to the system again, but we've got enough capital and liquidity to endure that. Uh, second, the the Fed isn't really easing up on its capital requirements. As I said, this year's uh, stress test was a little bit tougher than in past years. Uh, you know, they've actually said that if you uh, assume the worst case scenario, since financial conditions are pretty good, like unemployment down at 3.6 percent, the impact of moving to 10 percent unemployment, which is the severely adverse case, is even greater. So uh, what we're basically seeing is a increasing stress scenario, but the financials, the banks getting through that uh, in relatively good shape. And then the third takeaway is that banks' capital returns, uh, which have been a big supporter of EPS and profitability in recent years, could be moderating somewhat, uh, given that uh, the excess capital in the system appears to not be as great as it once was. Um, that means that you could see less in the way of share repurchases, uh, and it also could... Uh, mean that dividend increases could be somewhat less. So to the extent that capital return has been supportive of the group in recent years, like I say, through share repurchases and dividend increases, that might be less of a tailwind uh, going forward as a, as a takeaway from this year's results. But but net-net, uh, it's important to realize the banks are well-capitalized and are capable of enduring a severely adverse case they just may not be returning as much capital to shareholders going forward as they had in the last couple of years. Brad, thank you for that clarity and those takeaways. So if we stick with the banks, though, this can certainly extend into expectations for the broader group. I know next week the banks will begin reporting their quarterly earnings results. So curious, Brad, to hear about your expectations for reporting and anything in particular that you'll be listening in for from management's? I think there'll be some pluses and minuses in the second quarter results, which, as you know, begin next Thursday, uh, the 14th. Uh, the rise in market rates uh, that we saw in the quarter was was pretty sharp, um, and that should actually be helpful for net interest margins and loan growth, which has been solid in, in the quarter. Uh, the combination of those two things should help increase net interest income, uh, the top-line revenue driver for most of the banking industry and a significant contributor to earnings growth for other financials as well. Credit quality, which I highlighted as a risk on the horizon, is really benign so far. Um, you've seen from intra-quarter data points and management commentary uh, that basically delinquency and losses are at their lows or around their lows for both consumers and businesses, because basically the household balance sheets and small business balance sheets are holding up uh, pretty well. Uh, the impacts of inflation have not really shown up uh, severely yet in, in the second quarter. Unfortunately, on the negative side, we do see weakness in uh, certain fee income categories. Weakness in the equity market will put, probably dampen uh, fee income and wealth management. Uh, also, capital markets activity, both equity and debt capital markets activity, are, are down significantly. M&A advisory activity down significantly. And the sharp rise in interest rates has had a negative effect on mortgage volumes. We've seen a significant decline in refinancing activity. So that's another sort of negative fee income area. But netting it all out, I think the second quarter results will probably be fine. Um, but 
I think there could be some concerns about the trends entering the second half, you know, especially if we are facing a more stressed macroeconomic scenario. Um, I'll be looking uh, and listening carefully for management commentary on the earnings calls about the outlook for potential need to uh, take a more defensive posture relative to recession risks. As I mentioned, increasing loan loss provision expense. If, in fact, a recession is expected, the need to build up loan loss reserves in in the uh, case of potential uh, rising credit losses, again, which we haven't seen yet, but could be on the come. Um, and we also think that while there might be some uh, comments about, uh, you know, strength in net interest income growth over the balance of this year, uh, there may be some concerns about uh, what happens with interest rates in 23 and what the impact on net interest margins over the longer term would be. So we'll be listening for that carefully as well. Um, so overall, you know, do we think that the recent downturn in the group and the, and the pullback in valuations that I mentioned a moment ago, do we think that sufficiently reflects the potential risk of earnings power and profitability downside? Uh, so those are the kind of things that we'll be paying attention to from the earnings calls, Dan. Thank you for helping us to manage expectations for Q2 results, and it will be interesting to hear what comes out of these management calls. So as we begin to close out our conversation for today, perhaps tying this all into portfolio positioning, given current market conditions coupled with your outlook commentary from earlier, Brad, how are you recommending that investors be positioned within U.S. financials right now? Yeah, so our equity strategy team has a neutral uh, view on U.S. financials on the sector. Uh, that means that investors should expect performance about in line with the broader market uh, for the next 12 months. Uh, we moved to a neutral back in April, and I believe that the risk-return dynamic remains uh, balanced at this time. You know, in terms of subsector uh, preferences, I, I prefer – Proven executors uh, among the large banks uh, that could be viewed as more defensive with a strong mix of business, uh, prudent credit risk management, and strong capital positions. Uh, I also like subsectors that are somewhat less exposed to the direct credit losses that I keep harping on here as a risk in a recession. Uh, in particular, I think the payments companies can benefit from uh, a little bit of inflation and increased spending volumes, and they don't carry any credit risk. Uh, so that's a, a subsector that I think could uh, sustain fairly well through uh, any downturn that we may face. Overall, I would say, you know, position defensively in case macro conditions do get worse, but also, you know, focus on quality for the longer term in case the downturn is uh, shorter or more shallow than expected and focus on the uh, subsectors that are likely to uh, manage through the crisis if, if, there's, if there's one in front or manage through the downturn and actually become stronger on the way out. Brad, always nice catching up with you. Thank you for dropping by top of the morning today. Appreciate the guidance there on positioning and the insights you provided our listeners with respect to U.S. financials. We shall see how the second half plays out and looking forward to having you back on with us. So thank you again for your time this morning, Brad. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO dash disclaimer.